loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I welcome Marilee McLean. Marilee is a child advocate, protective parent, domestic violence expert witness, professional speaker, and author of Prosecuted But Not Silenced, Courtroom Reform for Sexually Abused Children. Marilee's written several articles for the ABA Child Law Journal, Women's E-New, and other publications on the problems of family courts not protecting abused children. Marilee is with Women's Media Center, SheSource Expert, NPEIV National Partnership to End Interpersonal Violence, and is with RAIN Speaker Bureau, All American Speakers. Marilee presents at conferences, law schools, legal conferences, women's rights conferences, and is a spokesperson for Protective Mothers. And you can find more about her at MarileeMcLean.com. Welcome, Marilee. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm happy to be on your show. Looking forward to it. I'm happy to have you and, and, and to include this subject. You know, I think people assume when they hear about my show that it's um, about always about death, but of course there are many other types of loss, and um, certainly your story, which we'll get to in a second, is a loss story in in many ways and a grief story. So I appreciate you seeing that connection. Thank you, thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's so, definitely a, a grief. <laughs> My story does absolutely. So let's let's uh, give our listeners some background. Um, would you like to just tell them briefly uh, what happened that led to this work you you do and and the book that you wrote? Absolutely. Um, I about the age of two, I had divorced uh, my daughter's father when she was six months old. I've been married many years, but I've been in domestic violence marriage and. You know, those are the good times and then the times where they're they're very scary and you don't know what you're dealing with. But this is back in the day when we really never understood domestic violence like we do today about the coercive control of emotional abuse, financial or physical. And um, I made up my mind to leave him when I was pregnant because he treated me so horrible during the pregnancy. And I divorced him and I had full custody of my little girl. He didn't really see her much, but at about the age of two, he would have visitation. And I find out that he's sexually abusing her. I'm thinking the court system will do the right thing. And I find that my, I'm on trial. And not are they looking at the abuse, but they're not doing anything to protect her, which is shocking. And um, today there are thousands and thousands of these cases. I testified before Congress on this issue. I've lobbied. I speak all across the nation. And there are mothers that call me every day. These are good, loving mothers from every walk of life. It doesn't matter whether you're an attorney, a doctor, whatever you're coming from. They're losing their children to the abuser in alarming numbers, and epidemic numbers, actually, Cheryl. So that's you know, what I work on today is the education and training for judges, lawyers, psychologists, social workers, and this, and to bring to the media, mainstream media, 
really don't have a clue this is going on, and neither does the general public. So it's it's a national crisis. Well, you know, I, I of course, am a therapist uh, in my everyday uh, work life, and um, I was so shocked by this. I mean, there are bad therapists. I wasn't shocked by that, <laughs> but uh, I was. <laughs> I was kind of shocked at how systematic, and of course, in my training, I'm a marriage and family therapist, but that's very similar to social work training. Um, I I think there is a kind of assumption of um, believing, um, you know, someone who's talking about being sexually abused, uh, believing that, you know, and some training about how to parse out, but uh, it really... um, stood out in the book to me that so many people were able to ignore what your daughter was saying. That was, that was very alarming and shocking to me. How do you, yeah, how do you think-, think of that in terms of all the different professionals that were involved with your family over the years, um, you know, being able to reach a, a quite um, non-intuitive conclusion? You know, it was shocking to me as well, and I came from a very great family background, and I just thought, you know, the system would protect her, and professionals were professionals. They've been trained, and they know what to do, and I was totally taken back, uh, blindsided by it because I couldn't believe, and even my little girl used to say to me, you know, Mommy, how come no one believes me, Mommy? Why do I have to go back to my dad? I don't like to go to my dad. He touches me. And, you know, you're trying to figure out. And she, she's told policemen, doctors, psychologists, social workers, teachers. I mean, it wasn't a child that was hiding it. She was articulate and, um, you know, nothing a child could come up with. They can't make this kind of stuff up. And I just couldn't believe that she wasn't protected. But not only that, with all the medical evidence and doctor's reports and police reports stating she's being abused and still no protection for her. So the, the system failed her. And, but it's not just failing her. It's failing thousands of children. We've got 58,000 children a year that are forced to go live with their abusers. Well, and of course, I guess we could, we could add that the system failed you as her mother as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, and, yes, you know, exactly. um, I know a little bit about uh, manipulative um, people and their power, but um, it, it, it's sort of a catch-22 where if you get upset, then you're seen as um, uh, off the rails and, and trying to ruin the relationship between him and your child. Do I do right. I say that correctly? So that and then of yeah. course that must make you feel even crazier and even more like uh, losing it. Well, it, it's um, you know the women and myself included were are, were labeled hysterical. Something's wrong with you because you're bringing this up and you won't quit fighting it. But what mother would? Number one, and number two, you know these guys are manipulative and controlling. Not all of them are you know, smart and know how to work the system. And it's not necessarily working the system because the system is working against these women. But um, the power of the, I, I think, either the narcissistic personality disorder, the, um, you know, uh, all of them, you know, it just seems like 
the sociopath, psychopath, and and I, I believed my ex had all three patterns in him, and yet nobody could see through him. He was so good, and I also, you know, shamed myself for marrying the guy, and was shocked that. You know, I have a baby with this man that I knew what he was, but there was such good, too. I'm not saying he was all bad. And so you try to look at the good, and you're not looking at how they're controlling you and the course of control and, the, and the, the sickness that was going on. So it's very scary. And I think I always tell young women when I speak at colleges is that, you know, you see, we know what domestic violence is today, so you know what to look for. It's not like my day where we didn't have anything out there. Everything's on the internet. There's tons of books. There are red flags everywhere. And you see those red flags, you run. Do not have a baby with this man because you will be caught up in it for the rest of your life. Well, that's an interesting point too, because of course, what I know about uh, people such as you're describing is that um, when you're doing everything that they want, you to do they can shine a pretty I, I like to call it a fluorescent light it's very bright but it's but it's uh right. it can switch off on a dime yes so I could imagine oh, okay. that That's that when when you met uh he was probably very compelling oh yeah no he was great um he he knew exactly where to turn me how to move me how I was with my family how close I was to my family um, he, you know, like, liked my morals and my values and who I was, but everything about me, he tried to destroy from that point on. Once he got me, um, he actually wrote in some journals that he had that once I divorced him, I found that he stated, I met my greatest enemy and she's mine to conquer and destroy example, Nietzsche, da, 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 or, um, you know, how he had militarily strategized and planned to win me now, you know, that he had met his greatest enemy and conquer and destroy. So, I mean, there was a lot of psychological stuff going on that I didn't even know was there. And you're right. When you said they can change on a dime, his eyes could change within a second. I mean, like he could be the nicest guy and you think, you know, he really loves you like nobody could possibly love you. And within an instant, those eyes could change to complete evil and scary. So, yeah, I lived in that. And and I can imagine that when you when you left him when you divorced and and the terrible things didn't immediately happen there must have been quite a bit of relief at that point uh, for having saying, yeah. <laughs> figured oh, it I out feel like I had a ton of bricks <laughs> sorry Cheryl yeah um, let's let's just let people hear a little bit of the book can you read that little passage from the uh, from the introduction, because I think it captures when you when you first realized what was going on. Right, right, it does. Um, yes, I'll be happy to read it. Uh, I told Amy to come upstairs. We had to get ready to leave. She began counting the stairs, one, two, three, four, five, all the way up to 16. She took her bath, and afterwards I smoothed Johnson baby lotion all over her little body. She looked and smelled so clean. Then I put her long, dark hair into a high ponytail and helped her into her pink dress. As we drove to the daycare providers, I imagined her father picking her up for his visitation that afternoon for his three-hour visit and just going nuts over her. She was such a doll. That evening, when I arrived at her father's house to pick her up, I rang the doorbell, but no one answered. I rang it again and knocked a few times. Still no answer. Finally, he came to the door and told me that Amy was sick. And I said, oh, it's funny. She had been, hadn't been sick earlier that day. 
As he went up the stairs to get her, I looked around at his place. It was filthy. Vacuum cleaner had sat in the same place for three months. There was food all over the place. The house smelled, and Amy's beautiful clothes were strewn all about the living room. When he brought her down the stairs, Amy was wet, nude, and limp in his arms. Her arms dangled at her side. Her ponytail was out of its band, and her hair was matted. She was soaked, soaked with sweat. My heart sunk, and my gut pulled tight. What the heck happened to her? Her father looked at me with a smirk on his face. I can't believe what I'm seeing, he said. I, uh, I can't believe what I'm seeing. And he said, she's sick. I didn't understand what had happened. All I wanted to do was get her out of there. I began grabbing and collecting her things. That's funny, I said to him. She was fine a few hours ago. I quickly got her dressed and got her out of his place. I think that was one of the first times that Derek sexually abused our daughter. That smirk on his face used to wake me up at 2 in the morning, causing me to sit upright in my bed. He was abusing Amy right in front of my face, and, and his attitude was that of O.J. Simpson. Like, what are you going to do about it? I'm telling you our story because I want to change a judicial system that is detrimental to sexually abused children. I write this book with the best interest of the child in mind and to acknowledge the pain that is inflicted upon families by our inept and biased judicial system, a system designed to fail the child and to protect the abuser. There is an unequivocal need for courtroom reform and more adequate training for judges, lawyers, therapists, social workers, and court-appointed evaluators. A mother's first instinct is to protect her child. And when the means and power to do this are stripped unjustly from the mother, there are no words to describe the constant heartache that is felt as each day passes by. I, I, uh, unimaginable is the word that that came to me as I was reading. And maybe that's part of the problem that people actually don't, don't imagine parents causing such damage to their children even though we know we know it happens but I also got the impression from your book that um, that you encountered people who actually uh, believe in the rightness I'm thinking a little of Roy Moore at the moment I guess believe in the rightness of their abusive actions um, that also quite stood out to me yeah, that was quite shocking. You mean like the GAL, the guardian light, and the lawyer for the child and, and the therapist that stuck up for him? You mean that kind of thing? Yes, yes. That that just sort of brazenly say there's nothing wrong with incest, there's nothing wrong with what, what of course, you and I know to be sexual abuse, and, and we know the, I well know the effects that that has on a person's life to be treated that way as a child. Uh, I was, you yeah, know, the trauma is in, in, insurmountable. I just remember, um, you know, I, I, I reread my book not that long ago and it was kind of weird because a part that I hadn't remembered distinctly because I started writing this book many years ago and, and it was when the GAL wrote a letter, guardian of light wrote a letter to the father stating if you've abused this child, please come forward and tell us that we will never take her away from you, even if you admit to doing this. So I'm thinking to myself, she's actually saying, if you're sexually abusing her, we don't care. We're not going to do anything about it. You're still going to have a relationship with your daughter. You're going to get to see her just like you are now. And she actually fought in the court. Um, the more abuse came out on my daughter and the more evidence of abuse, the more she fought the court to give him more time. And even when they were, there was evidence of sexual abuse and her, you know, 
physical evidence, she went into court and asked him to have weekend, which I call weekend raping privileges, because knowing what she knew and placing my daughter in that situation, I think is criminal. Well, I have to go along with you there. And um, you would think that someone else in the system would would catch on when someone has that kind of attitude, but clearly not because you went through this for so many, so many years. Uh, and I yeah, imagine the more you fought, the more, um, the, the worse his behavior got as well, because uh, I well, would imagine that to be, and the more you got away with it, I was, yeah, I'm sorry. He did. He did. Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly what you're saying. It, it, the more I fought, or the more I fought to protect her, to you know, stop his visitation, the more he got power and control and saw how he could manipulate the system and manipulate the players within the system, whether it was a therapist or even doctors. Tried He couldn't manipulate the doctors because there's evidence that he couldn't do, but he would try to. And, um, you know, he, he worked behind the scenes a lot, but I don't want to go into that so much because I see all these cases where maybe the man isn't as um, manipulative as my ex was or the father was, but they're still losing their children in rampant numbers. And these are, you know, I just, I can't stand seeing what I see go on every day and hearing these women screaming through the phone that they've just taken their babies away from them. I, I just can't even comprehend which, which, which just on that, isolated yeah, just on huh? that simple level of uh, best in- interest of the children, it's not uh, on face value. Let's say no one's abusing anyone. On face value, it's not good for a child to lose either parent. And so it's it's particularly shocking that parents who are not accused of doing anything abusive themselves would would lose their right to a relationship with their children. And I know that did happen to you for some time. Um, I, I want to talk when we get back. It's time for our first break. And when we get back, I, okay. I, I want to keep talking about what happened, but also begin to talk about um, how you got through it because it was a very long haul. And, and what I know about long hauls, which in from a completely different context, is that over time we have to develop these skills we never wanted to have, but, but we do kind mm-hmm. of change over time. And I want to hear some about that when we get back. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Um, listeners, you can find links to my website and social media, the Good Grief page at Voice America, and also a link to my recently published novel. You can like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, etc. And to find Marilee, you can go to www.marileemclean.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Today's woman faces a stressful world when it comes to staying healthy. We are bombarded by media messages with contradicting ideas about fitness and nutrition. We need to keep our diet, relationships, and stress in check. It's time to get the right message and have the most fun. Join hosts Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighaus for Healthy View Radio. It's health and happiness in one show. 
every Thursday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Marilee McLean, who spent years trying to get the court system to protect her daughter, who was being sexually abused by her ex-husband. And and before the break, we were talking about, um, you know, this, this was, what, from the time she was four to the time, when would you say it, it um, I guess I won't say resolved, but improved somewhat early teens maybe yeah um from four till she was 12 i finally got her back at 12 but um you know limited visitation and then to 50 percent um but she was still having to go back to her abuser so it was very difficult but one thing about my daughter which i think is interesting in a lot of these cases is not the same as what happened with me is I, I was placed in a supervised visit for eight years, treated as a hard criminal, because I wouldn't stop fighting to protect her, and I was labeled with a theory called PAS, parental alienation syndrome, and we can go into that some more, what that means, but it's debunked, and it shouldn't be used in the courtrooms, and it shouldn't have been used then, and it's never been approved by the AMA or the APA, which means American Medical Association, North American Psychological Association. However, 
I was placed in these supervised visits with her for eight years. It was damaging to both of us. I mean, there were times where she said, I don't even want to come here anymore. I don't even feel like I live in Denver. And she stayed on me. I fly to your house at night, Mommy, and I'm on the windowsill, and we're always together. So she never let go of me, and I never let go of her. Most of these mothers can't stay in these supervised visits because they're just too painful. I mean, there were times where I'd come home from those visits, and I could barely drive my car home, and I'd throw myself in the middle of her bed and just sob and sob mm. for hours. Um, you can't even imagine. You're watching your child suffer. I watched her hair break off. She had gorgeous, long, thick, dark hair. It broke off to inch long all over, all over her head. Her eyes were in a trance-like state. Um, she gained a lot of weight, and she'd say, Mommy, I'm not pretty anymore. I have an ugly body and, and ugly hair. And I'd tell her, you're beautiful. You're absolutely, and, and I didn't know how to be a therapist, but for that hour... Everything I had, I had to give to her and as much love as I could give her. And we weren't allowed to talk about the abuse or talk about anybody in my family or any friends. Or She was completely isolated. The Stockholm Syndrome, completely separated from everybody she loved and everybody that was trying to protect her. So you can imagine what, what she was going through. And then me, on the other hand, um, I just spent... 24-7 fighting with everything I could to get her back home. I was lobbying in Washington, D.C. Um, I went through everybody in Denver, Colorado, all the way to the governor, and I never stopped. But it was uh, the, the painful eight years of supervised visits were just, I can't even tell you. I, I, it was the worst. And being in court, I was in court for 10 years. But being in court, I was torn apart horribly and they would they would shut down the courtroom seal it and I was like um, it would be all his side on one side and I was over there pretty much by myself with my attorney by the end of this I didn't have any money left so I was representing myself pro se and it was absolutely horrendous I, I couldn't believe how this continued and the charade that went on and they wanted to seal the court records they didn't want anybody to get this case and they want the media to get to my case because they didn't want it out there what was going on and it was it was unbelievable. I was ordered to pay all court costs and all attorney's fees, and they pretty much bankrupt these mothers, which they did to me, too. And um, and here's my daughter. A lot of these women can't stay in those supervised visits. That's why they're not making it. They they can't, the money, number one, and the, the pain is unbearable. And no matter how much I was torn apart in the court and the horrible things they did to you in the courtroom, that supervised visit is a killer. And so um, to make it through that, and then she made it through it. We both made it through it. Neither one of us let go. But I believe if there's any mothers out there listening, you need to stay in those visits no matter how hard it is and how much they're bankrupting you and whatever because that child needs to know you're out there fighting for them. You don't can't talk about it, but my daughter knew. My daughter knew I was never giving up. Because you kept showing up, yes? Even though, of course, yeah, you, you couldn't say a word about uh, what you are actually doing to try to um, improve the oh, situation, no. but you just kept being there. Is that kept what you're being saying? There and loving her with all my heart and soul and letting her know that, you know, I'm there. I, no matter what, she knew I was there. She didn't know what I was doing behind the scenes and she didn't know all the media coverage or any of that and rallies at the Capitol. I mean, I, I was out there, you know, at that time, I, I just did her I didn't leave any stone unturned. And um, so is she that never is, knew all that I was doing. 
Marilee, is that part of how you coped by, uh, because uh, I was aware of the kind of catch-22 you were in, that on the one hand, it would seem so helpless if you didn't do those things, go to the media, uh, keep going to court, all of that. Um, and But on the other hand, that made you um, vulnerable, too, to being accused of that being a part of of this syndrome correct so well actually i didn't go to the media or anything or i didn't do anything that was against court orders until they took her away from me and then it was like katie bar the door you know at that point nothing all bets are off then i did everything they said but once they take these children you're not getting them back so you better hit with everything you can to to fight this issue and get it out there. And I, I just had a lot of, um, I think a part of it for me was, once again, I'll say I came from a great background, great family, so I had a lot of strength that way, a lot of self-esteem. And, um, of course, I didn't have anybody that I got through this, but, but I, I was not going to allow them to do what they were doing. It was so illegal and so backwards of anything I'd ever gone through, and it was so wrong that I could not not do what I was doing. That's so maybe a, that's an important point, isn't it? Like much. You, you know, it's very obvious in the book that you have um, people in your life who, who show up for you and your family was definitely there for you. And, of course, that probably makes, uh, is a huge difference, you know, between your experience right. and someone who who doesn't have that ground under them. But I was also aware it must have been so hard. Uh, you know, you, you dated a little bit in the book. Uh, uh, it must have in been so hard to ever... I, I stopped dating once I, um, I... I think about the time after I knew she was being abused, I really stopped dating and didn't date again until many years later, until I got her home, actually. Uh-huh. Because how would you trust anyone? Uh, that must be really... I don't really... know so much it was trust. You know, Cheryl, it was more... I wasn't here. You, I was not the same person. Um, I remember uh, a man that had known me said, oh, my God, when, when I got my daughter back, my eyes were back and my eyes were gone, just like my daughter's were. And I couldn't love anyone. I couldn't have given to anyone. I couldn't really be with a man. No man gets this stuff and can really handle it. And they want to fix it. And they can't fix it. They say, oh, it was your attorney. You had a bad attorney. No, I had seven attorneys. I had eight judges. It's not my attorney. It's it's the system. And they couldn't even comprehend it. Even today, you know, it takes a lot of people can't comprehend this. It's I had a, a federal judge that became a very good friend of mine when I was representing myself. And he was retired, and I was—I knew not to give him all this information at once because it would just overwhelm him. So I gave him little bits and pieces at a time. And believe me, I brought him completely around to where he couldn't even believe what he was seeing in front of him. But you could never give all this out there. And even the way I speak about it now, I'm very careful how I present this because it's so unbelievable. That's why we need national media coverage on this. This is like the last taboo. We're looking at the Me Too movement, sexual assault on women. I mean, at least women can somewhat protect themselves, of course, unless they're being raped. But these children have nowhere to go. 
And, you know, we get upset about Sandusky, who raped these boys, the coach, Penn State coach, and we get upset about the Catholic priest. But our biggest crime of all is happening in our family courts where children are not being protected and are forced to live with their abusers. That's the worst. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, I was worst struck by the... I, I was struck by the way that, uh, you know, you you compared um, what happens with a stranger abuse or even a more distant relative versus if it's the child's father and there's just an inability to to confront that uh, because the court is geared towards keeping parents in their child's children's lives. Uh, I right. guess that's part of why. Uh, well, it certainly doesn't. Is, it, that is what it is. It's a contested custody case. See, most parents, no matter if they don't get along and they get a divorce, they work it out because they want to do what's best for their children. I don't care whether you're a stay-at-home father or what you are. They work it out. But in contested custody cases, these cases are usually abuse cases. And in 70% of those cases, these children are going to the abuser. And if there's sexual abuse, it's in 82% of the cases are going to the abuser. So we're sending children to abusers in alarming numbers. And the, and that really all, you know, it, it, you don't always, it isn't always 50-50. All these states are passing this law to have 50-50. Well, that just makes it easier for the judge not to have to rule and deal with the issue. 50 50. Mm. If you're a bad parent, you don't deserve to parent that child. If you're raping a child and you're destroying that child's life and that child can't protect themselves, you lost that right to parent, as far as I'm concerned. You don't do 50 50 and send that child back to their abuser day in and day out. It just blows my mind. It really does. And that's a sick thing because they're passing that law in every state and that needs to stop. The safety of the child needs to come first. I don't care about the mother or the father. You find there's evidence of abuse on that child, and instead of throwing out like the judges did in my case and these other cases, when there's medical evidence, top doctors in the state of Colorado, Colorado writing a letter to the judge, please contact us concerning the sexual abuse of this child, the Child Advocacy and Protection Team. The Absolutely. Dr. Carol Jenny was one of the best doctors in the nation, and he threw it out. Police reports got thrown out. Everything got thrown out. And it's, it's the judge's discretion whether he takes it or not. Family court judges need to be trained in this, and they absolutely have to look at the evidence, and it's not an evidentiary hearing. Criminal court, is a, this is a crime. If you or I were raped, Cheryl, it goes to criminal court. Why is it when a child is raped by their own father, it goes into family court? This is a crime. But you've got to be able to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. So we have a huge problem here ahead of us, but I really want to see national media pick this up because we get upset about so many things in this world and this is huge. This is affecting all of society. It's affecting all of us. In one way or another, I'm sure you're familiar with the ACE study, Adverse Childhood Experiences, and how that has affected all of society, whether it's suicide, drug addiction, alcoholism, you know, PTSD, you name it, anxiety. We know where all this is coming from. And we could get all this billion dollars. And yet we, as a society, say, well, that's happening to that family, not my family. Hey, it's affecting all of us. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, we have a few more minutes before the break. And uh, we were talking about your your family support. But there's, there's also your family impact, um, how many people were affected by this. Would you just read that little paragraph about your sure. parents? Because I think you captured that in that paragraph. Um, 
My poor parents, I called them daily with pain piercing in my voice, hoping they could take some of it away. It was as if I got so full of pain that I couldn't bear even a half inch more. I was full all the way to my neck. In order to relieve some of that ache, I would try to lay it on them so I could take more in, but they couldn't handle it. They couldn't bear to hear my pain and to know that their granddaughter, who they cherished, was suffering. My mom at this time began writing letters to senators, Congress, and the governor. She was an incredible writer, and this was her way of helping. So, um, you know, my family going through this, too. I, I remember in the beginning, the siblings would say, what are you doing? What are you doing wrong in court? How could this be happening? What are you doing, Marilee? And it took them a while to get it, too. But, you know, my mom wrote a letter to the Denver Post um, back in, in that time, and it was an incredible letter. And the pain that the grandparents go through and the family goes, the uncles, the aunts, the children, the cousins, it's, it's like a death. And it's like a death for the child and it's like a death for the mom. You've lost your child to a slow death. Well, and, and also in a way, um, you know, as I was telling you on the break, one of my children was cut off from from me for several years um and uh i said it was the worst grief i would ever experience i still think that's true even though my partner after that died you know i've had very major deaths but what was different was that i had made a promise to raise that child and she was still out there in the world and i couldn't do it uh, I, it, it was a pain that I couldn't have imagined before that happened. And so as I was reading your book, I was, I was imagining adding abuse. Of course, it's a kind of abuse to cut off a child's parent. But, Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But, but uh, she wasn't being sexually abused. Um, to add that to the pile, just it was excruciating to imagine that. Um, so I... I uh, obviously don't know what that felt like, but I can kind of, uh, that's a way in for me because to not be allowed Absolutely. to to protect your child, help your child, guide your child, you know, all those things you do for a child and then to add on top that they're being damaged uh, is a terrible grief. Right, and, and, and you just feeling what you felt is huge, huge, huge pain and I get it. You can't even explain that when you're one. One mom wrote a poem to lose a child. Let's come life. back and let's come back and talk about that after the break because it's break time, and I don't want to okay, um, make it make it too short. It's time time for a right. second break, listeners. So you can go to my website, weatheringrief.com. You can go to the Good Grief Host page, and to find Marilee, you can go to MarileeMcLean.com. Back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Marilyn McLean, author of Prosecuted But Not Silenced. Clearly, you haven't been silenced. Um, you, you, um, you're such a fierce advocate, and of course, that's, Uh, does connect with this show and its theme, um, what comes out of these times. I think we've painted a picture in the first two segments of just uh, the unbelievable um, injury that went on for you and your daughter in this process, including uh, seeing each other very little for, for years. And so since we have one segment left, I really would like to spend this time talking about how you each um, went forward from there, because this is some years back. Uh, I think your daughter is an adult now. Is that correct? Marilee? Uh yeah, yes, that's correct. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I thought I might have lost you. Um, and so yeah. there's a there's a whole story after what happened to you that that has to do with how each of you have um, incorporated those experiences into your lives and gone forward from there. And I I wondered if you could um, talk about that a bit. Well, I mean, I was thinking, you know. Uh, part of it is like when I got her home, um, you know, I, there's a poem she wrote. I don't know if you want me to read that or not, but sure, that, that would be had fine. A lot to, 
Okay, okay. So, you know, when I got her home, she was only 12 and a half, and she wrote this poem, and it kind of absolutely didn't kind of. She, she even knows it today. That this absolutely said what she was going through and how she had to leave her body and dissociate from it to survive what she had been through. And she wrote this. She says, I am a dreamer. I am a dreamer lost in the world of logic and order. I wonder how big the universe really is. I hear the tinkling of fairies everywhere. I see an open ocean filled with mermaids diving in and out of the waves. I'm a dreamer lost in the world of logic and order. I pretend to glide in and out of the clouds with a flying unicorn. I feel that when I enter my world, everything is peaceful. I catch the barrier between the dream world and reality. I worry that someday my special world will collide with the real. Still makes me cry. I am a dreamer lost in the world of logic and order. I understand that my dreams might never come true. I say that my world will last forever. I dream that I'm on a star looking down at the world. I try to keep my two worlds from becoming one. I hope my special world will never end, for it is my salvation from the troubles in life. I'm a dreamer, lost in the world of logic and order. Pretty much sums it up for where she was and how she got through it. But very, very articulate expression of... I guess basically we could say dissociation, but but in right. a situation like that, it saves your life, doesn't it? Uh, and right. that's clear Absolutely. in her poem too. That being able to imagine into a world that in which that wasn't happening got her through it to the point where she could deal with it. Yes, right. Um, you know what I did when I got her home is. Uh, one of the things, I mean, it was like really a, a miracle. And she ran through the house so happy to see her room and see all her stuff and the house. She loves her home, and I hung on to it for dear life. But um, I told her, I said, see all those files under my desk? That's your case. And when you're ready to deal with it someday, it's there for you. And all I did was get her back to normal as much as I could, where family and friends and have everybody at our house and and, you know, buy her nice clothes so she could feel good about herself again. And, and just bring her back, not bringing up the abuse. We never discussed it. Um, I just wanted to get her back as much as I could, just having a normal life as much as she could. So that's really where we went. Um, one of her friends used to wonder what happened. And she said, we'll tell you when you're an adult. And that's always how she would handle it. We'll tell you when you're an adult. She didn't want to go there. And I, and I was told and believed not to go there until she was ready to go there. So that's what I've done is let her get there on her own. And, and what about you? So I know for sure that, um, you know, even though something ends, some terrible thing ends, there are reverberations. And um, mm-hmm. now you've got, you know, years of reverberations to try to um, go forward from. Um, how was that for you? Well, you know, I I believe, like I told you earlier, that, it isn't just for my daughter and I that I'm fighting for now. I'm fighting for thousands of others. So maybe if this had just happened to us, I would go, this is just a horrific crime that just happened and it's just screwy or whatever, but it's not the case. And I felt very compelled to make a difference. So how it changed me, I mean, I was obviously a fighter, like you know, and I, uh, I never stopped, like, no matter what, with 
news media or rallies or speaking. I've never stopped speaking. And I think, um, you don't know how to say it, but you kind of feel that you're chosen to do something. Not that this would have been my path because I really had a different path in mind for my life. But even my daughter said to me, Mom, you're on your journey and I'm on mine and we'll beat up. You know, if we both are on our journeys and this is what we've been set into, she says that we're better people for it. And so she's just really um, with it in that way, you know. I, I'd say my deal is every time I get um, a mom calling me or a mom saying to me, Thank God for you. Thank God for your book. I wouldn't have made it through this. I wasn't blindsided by what was going to happen. Or, um, you know, just uh, I speak at a battered mother's conference every year in Albany, New York, and or it can be at George Washington University at the law school there. And, and these women afterwards are just kind of glued to you. But, you know, they look at me as of hope, as of somebody that made it through it because they think they're going to die. And a lot of them have died from it. I mean, really, literally died, committed suicide, or gone in the underground, not ate it, or get really, really sick. Some of the women yes. I through this are very, very sick. So that was kind of my fear is I get sick from doing all this. But, um, yeah, it's it's amazing. And, and so when you know that you're giving somebody else hope and you're giving their children hope that they're going to have a life together at some point, well, that's that's what's happened here, and that's what I do. And plus educate and train people that need need to be educated and trained. <laughs> well, I, it, it occurred to me, too, while I was reading that if this is happening to someone and they and they try to search it, your book might come up. They might have kind of a head start on how to deal with it. Um, oh, yeah. Because absolutely. there there were some things over time that you figured out to do that you couldn't have known at the start. Um, right. But, you know, in terms of, for instance, you know, um, picking therapists and, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. not um, not trusting people that quote certain books, just some practical tips, I imagine, are very helpful to people. Yeah. And I have in my book, like I, t- I give moms ways to get through this. Um, I think there's about 30 different avenues of how to get through this. The other part is the research and the legal, because there's a lot of professionals in my book that, you know, give out advice and information. So really, it's an educational tool for judges and lawyers and all the people involved in the system, but also for bonds to get them prepared for what's coming and to not have the blinders on and possibly, um, you know, don't, not feeling alone in all this because um, it's, it's, pretty much identical cases. I mean, yeah, lots of things are different, but the same outcome, the same outcome in all these cases. You know, I, I think uh, it's uh, uh, the, the amount of, anch- of, of examples you wrote about and all of the um, additional materials that you included. I can imagine why, because uh, we're just not, most of us geared to to seeing this as possible. It's so horrendous that uh, e- even someone like me, who's you know um, immersed in lots of different types of loss, um, accepting that this is going on is not easy to do. Uh, and and I can imagine that it takes sometimes. 
uh, a ton of information to, for people to really accept that it's happening. Would that be Absolutely. true? And I, think my, I think that's what my book does, and that's why it's helpful in that way. There was something I wanted to share with you that uh, my daughter wrote recently that I think is really interesting. Um, she sent me a message stating, I went from a three- or four-year-old where everything stopped. I could not access my being until now. I am back. I can't believe it. A four-year-old soul and a 25-year-old body. She can dance, sing, swim. She has studied humanity and traveled the world, ending by her true love by the sea, where she gets to be a true mermaid loving her little kingdom by the sea. We did it, Mom. It's just the beginning of so much work to do, and I am ready. Thank you for always being on the journey with me, my number one supporter. I am real and solid in my body that is all mine. I have not felt my body in so long, the texture of my skin, the water on my scalp, nor have I seen my own shadow constantly in motion. I stop for no one. I am a butterfly that disappears just as soon as you can catch a glimpse. I am deep into my spirituality to let go of all that I thought was my existence. I can now access all my powers that have been locked away for so long. There's nothing that can get in my way now as long as I listen to my voice. I need it to the other side, Mom. Love you so much. So, That's incredible, that isn't it? That must, that must have just um, bathed you in, in warmth and sunlight to read. Um, I, it makes me remember I was at a, a, at a workshop with Stephen Levine once, and he, he did... Um, have a lot of people come to his workshops, even though he, it was mostly people thought of it as related to death work. Um, a lot of people who had been sexually abused came and uh, people were doing a, a meditation once um, and it was kind of a spiritual uh, enlightenment type of thing. And afterwards, one of the women said, I, a lot of people are looking for an out-of-body experience, but I'm looking for an in-the-body experience. Yeah, uh, yes. And, and um, to me, that's what your daughter exemplified there, an in-the-body experience, because it's hard to get in your body when it's been kind of enemy territory, isn't it? Yeah, and it's been shut down. She said that one more thing before. Uh, your baby is alive and feels the beauty of everything that is around her. She just had a major detour. But she is who you knew she always would be. Just took some time. You are exactly who she picked to guide her in her life. Keep doing what you're doing. She needs you to keep fighting, and it's 100% worth it. You're, you are creating a beautiful existence. I remember everything and have always been with you. Love you, Mama, and your beautiful soul. So, you know... Yeah, that's, that's a great place for us coming. to end for the day, isn't it? <laughs> because <laughs> because there's you and getting through it, but then knowing that your daughter also came through it is just um, a, test, a testament to our there. getting there. Exactly. Well, we're all getting there, but you know the fact that we can we can go forward from these terrible events speaks to the human spirit so eloquently. So, Absolutely. thanks for being with me. Cheryl, thank you so Thanks, much for having Cheryl. me on. It's really a, not a pleasure to and be on with you and somebody that gets thank this. Thank you. <laughs> um, people can find you at com. And next week I'll have Heidi Connolly. After her husband's death, she began using her music to support healing through what she experienced as communications from the other side. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. 
Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week.